But this past Monday, as I was just in my quiet time with the Lord, he just began to download something, and he asked me one question. He said, whose seed are you carrying? Whose seed are you carrying? And I began, I had to think about that for a moment. I'm thinking, what do you mean, God, whose seed am I carrying? I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, you know. I have the seed of God. But the words he began to to give to me were, many people think they're carrying the seed of God, but their fruit is not the fruit of the seed of God. And it's so easy to tell the seed that we carry by the fruit that we bear. And, you know, seed itself can be put on a shelf, and you can put corn seed or any of these other things that have seeds in a shelf and put them in a jar. They can stay on a shelf for, for years, right, and never do anything until you put it into the right environment. You put that seed into the ground, you give it moisture, you give it food, you give it sunshine, and that thing begins to grow, unlike what it did on the shelf in that jar. And I think many times, and I'm afraid that the body of Christ has had the seed of God's word and the seed of God in a jar on the shelf, and we've done nothing with it. And the only way that the word of God is really going to bring forth what it was supposed to bring forth is when we have created an environment for that seed to grow and to bear the fruit that God wants it to bear. Do we see where we're at in this nation today? I'm so, I'm just so burdened by what I see going on in our nation and in our schools and and, you know, I just, I wish the youth were still here. I'd, I'd have them all stand up and apologize for what we left them as adults, older ones. We left them the world they're living in, and I'm not proud of it. We left them a world that's filled with perversion and strife and violence because the church was asleep. The church had the word up on a shelf doing nothing. As Don, uh, Dan said last night, we were more interested in being cool than we were in being holy. Some of the movements we've allowed in our churches. We were so interested in being cool we were, we, we, more than we were in being holy and righteous. This is not a wimpy message. But I believe it's the most exciting time for the church. I have never been... I've served the Lord for 41 years this coming May. And I've never been as excited as I am today for what the church has in front of us if we will walk through the doors that God wants us to walk through. I believe we're in a place where we're going to see a major revival of souls, especially in our young people. I believe it's going to happen if we'll do our part. Well, what can I do? Pray. What can I do? Get in the Word. Pray. Go to work. Pray. Come home. Pray. That's what it's going to take. Prayer is the, prayer is the answer. We're seeing great revivals take place all across the world. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran in home churches. And I heard it's led by women, by the way. That means nothing in the body of Christ, but it's just, you know, it's interesting. They meet in secret places because of fear of their lives. We just heard where, was it an Iranian or Nigerian pastor was beheaded because he would not denounce Jesus. We have friends in Nigeria in a church, and I remember several years ago, I'm I'm trying to find my notes on this, I had a dream-slash-vision of persecution that was taking place in Nigeria several years ago. And I was at our friend's church in in Lagos. And I remember seeing the fear that was in the minds and the lives of people in the churches that were serving Jesus. We're seeing great persecution of Christians in many nations. And we're even beginning to see it in our own. We're even beginning, actually it's been undercurrent for years. 
And I believe there's a call going out from heaven for the people of God to rise up in, in the power and the glory of God and not just do church, but be church. You know, our theme for 2020 is deployment. We have been deployed. God has called us to be deployed. What does that mean? That means we leave a base that we're at and we go out and we do a work, we do a service, we, we take care of what needs to be taken care of. We're on assignments, what it means. And we see, we see so many things happening. You know, like I've said it before, because we are in contact with so many different populations or groups of people, we see what's going on that maybe many people don't see. We see the, the disruption in the schools. We see, we see the violence in the schools. Just this morning, someone, friend, sent me a, a thing about sex trafficking in Concord at a hotel here. I mean, you know, and we know it's, it's close by anyway. See, we've, the church has got to be the church and not just do church. We've got to be the church. It's time for Christians to quit playing games with God and, and just wanting the blessings without the obedience. We're wanting the presence without the holiness. And we see a lot of people who call themselves Christians waver back and forth, back and forth. They're in and out, in and out. You know, there's not a revolving door on the kingdom of God. There's not a revolving door there's, uh, on this word of God either. And we have to understand clearly what it means to be called a child of God. You know, walking up to the front of the aisle and, and responding to an emotional plea does not make you a believer. This is what it takes to make you a child of God. Romans ten nine through 11 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things, you have to declare and you have to believe. And then it says, for it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you were saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So declaring and believing, we have to declare that Jesus is Lord of our life. And that's how we receive that salvation. We also have to believe that God sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, he died for our sins, but he was raised for our justification. He was raised so we could be in right relationship with God. Not just so we could come to church. See, when you get older, you can start saying things. Because you don't care anymore. I don't mean that disrespectfully. But you know, you're just tired of seeing the games. You're tired of seeing what we know has been promised. I'm tired of seeing the words say one thing and our, our lives say something else. And all 78% of the people in our country say they belong to Jesus. Elijah told the people of God, he said in, in 1 Kings 18, 20, 22, 21. And I'm going to ask us the same question. All of us. You say, well, I'm here every Sunday. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm asking me this question. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If, it is, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer a word. That word limping means to waver between choices or to hesitate. The NET Bible says paralyzed by indecision. How long are we going to be limping between serving God and not serving God? 
The situation in, in Israel was the time where King Ahab was the king or the ruler of northern Israel, and they were bowing down to two primary gods, Baal and also Asherah. Now, the characteristic of these two gods was immorality and perversion. You see, we think this just happened in the 20th, 20th century. No, we just put it on TV in the 20th century. It's been going on forever. It's been going on forever. Israel struggled with Baal and Asherah, with perversion, immorality, and all the other things, like idolatry. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah, tell, he does a little show and tell. He says, you prove your God. Call him up here. Let's sacrifice an animal. And they call and they can yell and they scream at their gods for hours and hours and hours. And what happens? Nothing. And so it gets time for the evening sacrifice. This is interesting. Elijah waited until the right time. When it was time for the evening sacrifice, what did he do? He put his animal there. He dug a trench. He put nine gallons or buckets of water on the thing. And he said, now he called down God, the fire from heaven and it consumed them. That's the kind of God. See, it, Elijah was showing the people the power of Almighty God versus the power of these idols that they had been worshiping. And the gods of the world offer the same enticement they did in the times of Elijah. And the biggest tool in our nation is immorality. It's the biggest tool in our nation. And I think we have a, we have a nation where the gods of immorality rule our media, they rule our news, they rule our entertainment, they rule our, our many times Christians, they rule ch- schools, they rule in our government. And in Joshua 24, 15, this was also not a, new, not a new question that Elijah asked. And Joshua said the same thing. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. And I believe for us to be everything God wants us to be, we've got to decide who are we going to serve. We can't be serving God half-heartedly and then expecting the miracles and the power and, and deliverances and breakthrough in our life. He doesn't work that way. We have to do it His way. He tells the nation of Israel to choose, quit straddling the fence. And I'm asking each one of us to quit straddling the fence. Indecision creates instability in the life of church and in the life of believers. It creates instability. James 1, 6 through 8. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. You know, in Mark eleven twenty two and 23, the scripture we all like to quote about moving the mountains, the very first thing it said was have faith in God. We have to make sure that our faith is in God alone. He said, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Divided loyalty causes us to be unstable in what we do. We're in one minute, we're out the next. We stand in indecision. We limp alone in our faith because we've not made the firm choice to make Jesus Lord of our life. How many people have come to the, to the front of many churches, signed their name on a sheet of paper, thinking they had it made, well, I'm getting into heaven. They go right back out and nothing has changed in their life. Nothing has changed. Why am I telling you this? Because I think it's time for us to become what God wants us to become because our nation is at stake, our children are at stake, and our grandchildren are at stake. 
I have grandchildren, and I don't want the world to continue the way it's been that we gave it to them. Getting ready to celebrate one's 15th birthday today. Had one yesterday, 15. I have a lot of winter birthdays. Got one in two weeks, will be 18. Then I get a reprieve until June, praise God. Four in about two weeks. I have to save up a year just for birthday presents. But the devil, but see, this is how the devil works. He, he takes issues in our culture and in our schools and in our churches. And instead of making, for instance, immorality is not a holiness issue any longer. It's a social or cultural issue. Oh, we can't live like that. Everybody's doing this. I told the prayer team last night we had a little guy come out of Charlotte last week and he was all distraught because he says, everybody in my class is having sex but me. And he's pressured. And his values are not that. So the counselor talked with him and tried to encourage him in his own personal values. The pressure, the stress, the peer pressure. See, abortion is no longer a biblical issue of destruction of innocent life, but it's a political issue where people can be divided and our nation polarized. See, abortion is not about political party. It's about biblical truth. we We don't have an abortion issue. We have an immorality issue. It's about lack of self-control, lack of values. Oh, it's just inconvenient. Let's get rid of it. Should have thought about that before. I started to say something else, but I'll just kind of keep it right in here. (laughs) At lunch, I'll probably say it. (laughs) Don't lay down with it if you can't deal with it. You're right. Anywhere you see in Scripture where there is the destruction of innocent children, it's a result of idolatry and evil. Anywhere. Anywhere. Homosexuality is no longer a biblical issue of immorality and perversion, but it's a mental health and a political issue. We've polarized our nation on these, on these issues. And the devil fuels this agenda simply to bring division into the body of Christ. Do not be foolish enough to believe what the devil is doing is not a lie. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to get divided. He wants us to get polarized. He wants the body of Christ divided. When all he's trying to do is it's really kingdom of God against kingdom of darkness. That's all it is. It's the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And we have to understand that. Otherwise, we're going to fall for his schemes and strategies. See, God promises to deliver those who have a heart for him. He promises to bless those. Over in Second Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God's looking at everybody's heart. If their heart is, he said, I'm here for you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm, I'm bringing you the, what you need. I'm, I'm your strength. I'm your source. Well, let me show you something. Job 1, 7. The Lord said to Satan, where are you going, Satan? He says, running to and fro across the earth. What's he doing? He's looking for the same people God's looking for. He's looking for a way to, to, bring, to bring them down. He's looking for a way to get into their lives. He's looking for a way to infiltrate with evil. Daniel eleven thirty two. 
says, and as such as violate the covenant, he, Satan, shall pervert and seduce with flatteries, but the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits. How many want to do exploits for God? I think everybody in here want to do exploits for God. You say, well, I can't do exploits. What am I going to do? You can go into your classroom if you're a student and you can change your classroom. You can go into your workplace and change your workplace. You can change your home environment. You can change your neighborhood. See, we have been we have been deployed wherever we go. If you go into food line, you're on assignment, right? If you go into CVS, you're on assignment. Wherever you go, you're there to do the business of God. And God's looking for people that will go into these places and in the, into the places at the areas of the world and bring the kingdom of God to replace the kingdom of darkness. And we are the only ones who are authorized to represent the kingdom of heaven in the earth. We're the only ones who can prevail against the gates of hell because they're not going to prevail against it. We're the only ones anointed to do that. And our government's not going to do it. Our, our, it's not going to happen. I don't care where you, where you belong. We are authorized to do that. And God needs people on the earth to do exploits. Let me tell you, he needs young people in schools that will not compromise. I tell you, one person in a classroom can bring revival. One person can stand up and say, as for me and my family, we're serving God. We need people in the marketplace to carry his power and his glory and bring people out of bondage and darkness. How many people do you meet every day that's in bondage? Probably 98% of the people you meet, right? We need people who understand the call that God has placed on them to be the church. And I believe that much is at stake and I believe the church is still sleeping and the enemy is still sowing seeds of evil and doubt into the lives of people. This is, this is a quote by Derek Prince. One basic problem as human beings is that we do not realize how valuable we are. Do you realize God has put seeds of greatness inside of every one of you if you belong to him? He has put seeds of greatness inside of you. He's put, he's put seeds of destiny inside of you because you belong to him. That's, you're that valuable to God. And then it says, we often miss the call to join in the great battle because we think that we cannot make the grade. Well, you can't make the grade outside of Holy Spirit. No one can. That's why Jesus says, it's very important that I go so I can send Holy Spirit. None of us can do anything outside of Holy Spirit because that's the same Holy Spirit that Jesus did everything he did through. He only did the mighty works he did because he was filled to, with the Holy Spirit. It tells us that in the book of Acts. He went about doing good, healing the sick, casting out devils. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, the same thing that you and I have. Would it not have been foolish for Jesus to have walked the earth and said, well, I'm God, I'm here to show you how to live, but I'm not giving you the power or the ability or the desire to do it? Would that have just been foolish? No, he said, I came to show you how you can live just like I live. He said, the same works I do, you will do. We have that same authority. We sang that this morning. And he says... Consequently, we make the most tragic uh, mistakes. We are like a person who is legally heir to a vast fortune, but we sell off our entire inheritance for something incomparably less valuable. A night of sex, a venture into the world of drugs, a drunken party, a crooked financial scheme. Or we may value ourselves a little higher, perhaps seeking some prestigious position in politics or the entertainment world, or even some ecclesiastical office, yet for all of its prestige, it does not compare with the value of our inheritance which we give in exchange for it. 
What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything more important than a soul that God has given to us? So who are the ones that God can use? Who are the ones that he's looking for? Very clearly, 1 John 3, 6 tells us that he's looking for those who are born again. How do you know if you've been born again? Well, I signed my name on the, on the sheet. My pastor told me I was. No. Are y'all ready for some tough stuff? Okay, I told you it's not going to be wimpy. Now remember, I've been dealing with this for a week. I told you, you I, get, I get it before you do, okay? First John 3, 6. No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion and in obedience to him deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits or practices sin. I've said it for years. If you're comfortable sinning, you've never known him. If you're comfortable in your sin, you have never known him. If you can lie and cheat and steal and sleep around and all that and you don't have any problem with that, you've never known him. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. That's tough stuff, isn't it? That's the word of God. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one born or begotten of God practices deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. So if I'm comfortable sinning, if I'm comfortable lying and cheating and all the other things, idolatry, all the other immoral, if I'm comfortable with that, it says, I've, I've never been begotten of God. You can come to church and raise your hand, shout hallelujah, and say Jesus is Lord all day long, but if this is going on in your life, you've never known him. We've never known him if this is going on in our life. And we're wondering, God, use me, use me. No, you should be speaking to the other God because devils walk around to and fro looking for people whose lives are not in alignment with the word of truth. And then it says, listen to this. This is where my, this is where my download came from Monday. For God's nature abides in him. His principle of life, his divine sperm remains permanently within him and he cannot practice sinning because he's born of God. So a person who's truly been born of God cannot be comfortable sinning. Does it mean you might make a mistake? And say, yes, but what do you do? Oh, your heart should grip you. Has any of us experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. God, forgive me for that attitude. Forgive me for what I said. Forgive me for that thought. And see, that's what 1 John 1, 9 says. We, we repent, he forgives us, he cleanses us. But if we're back doing it three or four times, you know, if within 30 minutes, something's wrong. We haven't quite made the... Or we don't know how to live victoriously. So we don't understand we have Holy Spirit living inside of us. The seed of God is an everlasting, eternal word of God. And we are born again by the seed of God. 1 Peter 1, 23. How many of you have your word with you today? Some form or fashion. doesn't matter to me. Okay. Book or electronic, it doesn't matter. The word is the word, right? It says, you have been regenerated, born again, not from mortal origin or a man's seed or sperm, right? We don't get born again. That's why when when Jesus was talking to, uh, uh, was it Nicodemus? He said, you know, you must be born again. He said, how am I going to do that? He said, you should know this stuff. So Christians should know this stuff. Or was it Zacchaeus? Which one of them? Zacchaeus, maybe. We should know this stuff. We shouldn't have to have somebody telling us this over and over and over. He said, but from one that is immortal by the ever-living and lasting word of God. What's he saying? He's saying the word of God is the seed of God. 
Do you, do you, do you, are you grasping how important that is? The word of God is the seed of God. That's so important. And there's two applications of the word of God in scripture that I find. Well, number one is, is scripture is the written word of God. First Timothy, um, uh, Second Timothy 3.16 tells us every word of scripture is what? God breathed. Every word of scripture is God breathed. So he's telling us that this word, this word is not just words on a page. It has been breathed out of the breath of the word or the mouth of God. And number two is that Jesus is the same as the word of God. In 1 John 1, let's look at that quickly. I don't have that on a slide. 1 John 1. John 1, not 1 John, John 1, I'm sorry. John 1, I know what I'm thinking, I'm just not saying it. John 1. John 1, 1. Too many ones, okay. Listen to this. In the beginning was the word, that's the word in the Greek, logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was the God, and the logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who is this word talking? It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the same as the word of God. So when we look at this scripture, we're seeing that if we want to be intimate with God, how are we going to be? He's not going to come down and have dinner with us, is he? Well, I'll just sit and listen to worship music. That's not how you're intimate with God. You're intimate with God through his word. This is his seed. And if we're not into the word, then we're not being, we're not intimate with God. And we talk all the time about intimacy and intimacy. And I just put on my favorite music and I'm intimate with God. No, I can, I can listen to music all day long, but if I don't have communication with my husband... There's no intimacy. Intimacy is takes time, it takes repetition, it takes fellowship. This is how we fellowship with God is through the word. Now we do all the other things too. Pray, we worship, and all these other things. But if we omit the word of God, why is the devil after Christians not to read the word? Over 50% of Christians never open their Bible. The devil is an evil genius. You can listen to music all day long as long as you don't know what this says. He doesn't care. You can shout glory, hallelujah. You can even pray, but if you don't know how to pray the word of God, the devil doesn't care. But when you start taking authority with this word, when you start declaring what this word says, the devil knows he has to bow his knee. The name of Jesus, because Jesus is the same as the word of God. Amen? So I want to ask us, whose seed are we carrying? Whose seed are we carrying? Every relationship that we have will produce some type of fruit in our life. Good or bad, indifferent. It produces something. A negative fruit, a positive fruit. Every relationship, there should be some type of fruit. It might produce uh, love. It might produce fear. It might produce insecurity. It might produce distrust. But entity receives seed that always produces fruit. And like I said a moment ago, it's not necessarily the quality of the seed... It's what we do with that seed. Is it in an environment? Is it in a place where that seed can take root and do exactly what God wants it to do? Or do we have it up on the shelf? Probably most people that call themselves Christians have a Bible in their house. How often do we read it? You know I'm a person of the word. And these Bibles can sit for years in your house. We used to, we used to, have, we, <laughs> we used to do some crazy stuff. 
uh, we still do some crazy stuff every once in a while. We had a gym membership for about eight months. We never went one time. But we were members. And we told people we were members. And we were proud that we were members. Nothing happened. (laughs) Duke was helping me get wired up. I said, now, Duke, don't you look at my fat. We used to buy cassette tapes back in the you know back in the day when they had cassette tapes, and after about ten years, we started collecting all these cassette tapes to throw them away, and they hadn't even been taken out of their wrapper. But we paid for them. Changed our life, and we looked at ourselves throwing them aside. You think there was there's, is there a message in all this? But how many of us do that kind of crazy stuff? How many of you bought books on dieting? And that they're still in, and please don't go there, right? Surely these books must help us. Well, let me tell you, this book will help you if we take it. You see, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not heavy. I'm, I've got every, I think I've got every translation known to man. I really do. I, I honestly, in this form and also electronically. But you know what? I've got to read that word, or it does me no good. It does me absolutely no good. So the fruit reveals the source of our seed. And I just, off the top of my head, I thought of four sources. Four sources of seed that the body of Christ has to deal with. Four places that we as believers can find ourselves experiencing intimacy. I'm not, and when I speak of intimacy, I'm not talking sexual stuff. I'm talking fellowship, time, communion. Where we spend our time, where we get emotionally involved with. You can, have, you can be intimate in a lot of different other ways, right? So the first thing I thought about was fruit that comes from the intimacy with the world. First, let me define, let me give you a definition of intimacy. This is Donna Wise's definition. You won't find this in Webster Dictionary. <laughs> a, rep, a, a repetitious cycle of events with a person or a system that incorporate time, emotion, and fellowship. A repetitious cycle of events with a person or a system that incorporates time, emotion, and fellowship that creates intimacy. Our ultimate intimacy is with God. A repetitious time of getting into his presence, reading his word. People say, I don't hear from God. Well, I find that people that don't read their word usually don't hear from God. Really. And the people that don't read their word and say they hear from God, we should question, right? Right. So intimacy with the world, 1 John 2, 16 says, for all that the world can offer, all it can offer, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father but from the world. Let me ask you, are you consumed with the entertainment of the world? And when we are, we begin to act like them, talk like them, dress like them, think like them, behave like them, and believe like them. So when the world is sending out its message, we can tell what comes out of our mouth, whose message are we believing? What's that old, and where's that Isaiah? Whose report are we going to believe? Whose report do we believe? Do we believe the report from CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, or are we receiving this report? We have to be careful. 
The devil is an evil genius. I heard once that most people spend seven and a half hours in front of some type of electronic tablet, phone, computer, iPad, or whatever. Seven and a half. Okay, if they work eight and sleep eight, where's the time for God? We see our children are being discipled through their, the Internet, their iPads. The, ma- the major reason for the huge increase in pornography among young children, used to be the average age is 11, now it's about 7, is because of the cell phones. Too much access. So when we're spending time with the world, we have no real desire for the things of God. You saying, are you telling me I should stop doing everything except read the word? Well, if you have to go that way, go it, do it, all right? I love what was it, Smith Wigglesworth. He said he has no reason to read anything other than this. Now, he didn't have tablets and computers to deal with, but you know what? It was, I don't think it would be any different. He wouldn't read a newspaper because he did not want his mind to be consumed with anything other than the word of God. And we see what did God found a man whose heart was blameless. Hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people were healed and set free and delivered by his ministry. Because he chose this over what the world had to say. Second is fruit that comes from the intimacy with the darkness or the devil. And John eight forty four says, Jesus talking to the Pharisees actually, or, and he said, you're the offspring of your father, the devil. You serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. It had been a murderer right from the start. How do we know if somebody's been listening to darkness? He never stood with the one who's a true prince, for he's full of nothing but lies. You know, we've coined this term fake news recently, right? That's just a nice thing of saying lies. <laughs> you know, we, we, people can just make up anything they want to say. And people will believe it and get people in trouble. Lying is his native tongue. So what language does the devil speak? Lying. That's his language. He's a master of deception and the father of lies. Let me read Ephesians 5, and it tells us what the fruits of darkness are. Here we go, that term sexual immorality. I'm telling you, it's been here. It's, it's, the, it's a major ploy of the enemy. Why? Because that's the number one drive of the human flesh. It's the number one drive of the human flesh is a sexual desire. So why wouldn't Satan distort it? He said, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude jokes. What do we laugh at? Which are out of place. What do we go see that's coarse and crude? What are we, what are we doing as believers? Do we, do we understand what we're doing here when we're, when we're taking all this junk in? And it says, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater. See, what's, what's this got to do with idolatry? Anytime I want to do something this word says that I shouldn't do, I've, I've put another God on the throne of my heart. So there's, I'm, in, I'm in idolatry. And it says, has no, listen, let me read that again. For you may be sure of this, that anyone, everyone who is sexually immoral and impure, who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's not a matter of I have more good deeds than bad deeds. No, anyone who does this has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? I've heard people say, well, you know, God knew how he made me. Also knew how he made Jesus more than powerful enough to overcome the workings and the sins of the flesh. 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That means a fellow sharer in fellowship. Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. See, we as believers, there is zero tolerance, right? I told you this was not going to be a wimpy message, okay? I don't see anybody grimacing with pain yet. What? I'm not through. I got the chokehold coming. Not really. You know what? I have a passion to see the body of Christ realize everything God has promised for you and me. And we cannot, if we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, how are we going to claim the promises? And if, and if, if we have people who come to us and they need, I need help, and they're, and they're living in the, in, the, in the ways of darkness... How, what do we have to say to them? This is the only thing we have. This is it. There's no, there's no other way to happiness, fulfillment. There's no other way. We see how the devil's a hard taskmaster. Just talk to some of our, our drug and alcohol addicts, right? Hard taskmaster. The works of darkness is simply to get us to serve another master. So we can't say that Jesus is Lord if yet we're serving another master. The third type of fruit that, or intimacy, fruit that comes from intimacy is, and I just felt the need to incorporate this, and I don't really know why. I almost took it out again this morning, but I just left it in there because the Lord just kind of put that in my spirit, man. Is a religious system, and Dan kind of alluded to it a moment ago, talking about you know belonging to certain churches that, that require this and require that. But a, a, a religious system, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, Paul warned Timothy, he said, he said uh, people, they act religious, but they will reject the powers that come from them. Stay away from these people. Stay away from these people. He said, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out. See, a spirit of religion will require from you what God doesn't require. A spirit of religion will make you go further than God makes you go. The spirit of religion puts you in a box. The spirit of religion will make you uncomfortable with the working of the spirit. People that have a spirit of religion do not like the move of Holy Spirit. They want three songs, take up the offering, announcements, go home, and nothing changes. Because that works in our system. Right? We don't want a spirit of religion. And many people, I believe, and maybe we've all been tempted, and they might have had a tendency to go toward that spirit of religion rather than a relationship with God. We just check off a box. We did this, we did that, we did this. I can tell you, I mean, you can know if you have a spirit of religion. I, I'll tell you how I found out. First time I ever taught on this, I, I mean, I had to repent all over the place. I said, God, this is me, this is me, this is me, this is me. Totally unaware. Totally thinking I'm doing it all right. Suddenly, if I don't pray an hour and I pray 50 minutes, I'm in condemnation. That's what religion does. It'll condemn you. Or if I'm not, if, I, if I'm supposed to read six chapters today and I only got to read four and a half because one of the kids was sick, oh, oh God, God's going to be angry with me. See, that's what a spirit of religion does. It brings condemnation. Holy Spirit brings conviction, not condemnation. So we have to, we have to recognize 
And I believe it's one of the greatest enemies of the church today because it has its own set of rules outside of Scripture. That's why we have to know what the Word of God says. Lastly, number four is the good one. That comes from intimacy with God. The fruit that comes from intimacy with God. How do we know? How do we know if we're having fruit from intimacy with God? Galatians 5.22 says it very clearly. The fruit produced by Holy Spirit within you is divine love and all of its varied expression. Listen, this joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. This is how you know if you're in relationship with God. Are these things operating in our life? Ephesians 5, 9 says, For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Only that is good and right and true. This is our standard. Jesus said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And he said a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If we've got our heart wrapped around this word, if we've got our heart consumed with it, we're going to bring forth good fruit, right? We're going to bring forth good fruit. One final scripture. And this is where I think we're at today. And I want us as, as believers, as, as a church, I, I, we've got so much to do. How many of you believe we can turn our city around? We can turn our schools around? I believe it. We can turn our schools upside down. We can turn our government system upside down. It just takes good people doing what God has put in our hearts to do. We've got to be deployed. But the problem is how many are deployable? Not deplorable, deployable. How many are deployable? How many of us have our... How many of us have been born again? How many of us have made Jesus Lord of your life? That means we're, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? So if we're not obeying the word, that means we really don't love him and we haven't really been born again. He's really not Lord of our life. We, this is something we need to personally work out our own salvation, right? With fear and trembling, Paul says. Matthew 13 says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while, men, while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. I did a message some time ago. I was just walking through my house one day and I kept hearing while they were sleeping, while they were sleeping, while they were sleeping. While the church was sleeping, the enemy has sown seeds into our schools and into our government and into our other churches. While they were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed seed among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it then have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. While the church was sleeping, the enemy's walking to and fro, looking for everyone he can find that he can use. And I'm afraid many of them are sitting in churches every week because they've never made Jesus Lord of their life. And they've never truly been born again. They've believed a religious system that says all you have to do is show up. All you have to do is, is sign your name. All you have to do is just, you know, just do the best you can do. Well, this is the best we can do. See, this word says we are more than a conqueror. 
This word tells us in Romans that we have authority. We have, we have victory over this, this old man. We, he's crucified. We're going to wash some down the drain in just a few minutes. We have power over this old sinful nature. One of these days we're not going to have to deal with this old fleshly nature. But until we see him, it says we won't be like him. Right? But he's given us the victory in the meantime. Stand if you will. Now what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray for you. But then we're going to receive tithes and offerings. And while we're receiving tithes and offerings, those who are going to be baptized, just go change your clothes or whatever you're going to do to be ready for water baptism. I want everyone, if you would, after we receive tithes and offerings, to be seated. And I want you to be a part of this. This is a very, if you heard John's message last week, it was powerful. Powerful. And there were people who said, I think I need to be baptized again. And you said, well, I didn't come ready. Well, just go home wet. That's okay. We'll give you a towel to wrap up in. But I want to ask you one thing. And I want you to answer. Don't, don't answer me. I want you to answer God. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? How do you know? Am I obedient to his word? Am I comfortable in my sin? Have I decided that this word doesn't apply to me? Are there certain things that maybe is not quite relevant for me today when his word is clear on these things? This word, this word is eternal. And if we take out one sheet, one verse, we have to throw it all away, in my opinion. If I can't believe it all, I can't believe any of it. I want to ask us, are we truly born again? Do we truly know that Jesus is Lord of our life? And I want you to Dan, if you would come and just play something. Uh, I just want us to... Uh, where's Dan? Thank you, Lord. I just want you to take a moment and just examine your heart. This is too important. It's between you and God. See, you sin against no man but God, right? And I want everyone in here to live victoriously because we need you. We need you. So just take a moment and just say, God, show me my heart. Is there something in me that's not pleasing you? Is there some way in me, God, that's not under the lordship of Jesus? Holy Spirit, I ask for you to convict every single one of us, Lord. Don't let us get by with anything. Zero tolerance to your word. Thank you, God. Lord, it's you and you alone that we have sinned against. Not man, but you and you alone. Thank you, Lord. Maybe it's attitudes. Maybe it's justification of behavior because the culture has said it's okay to do this. God's word is clear. Those who participate in the deeds of darkness will not inherit the kingdom of God. God, we want everything you have. We want your presence. We want your power. We want to walk and live in holiness. As Dan said last night, we're not interested in being cool. We just want to be holy. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just ask you just to sweep through our hearts, Lord, and reveal. You only reveal to heal. You only reveal to restore. You never condemn. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for conviction. It leads us out of bondage. It leads us out of the darkness of the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless you, Lord. So, Father, we just lift our hearts to you. We lift our spirits to you, Father God. And I just thank you, Holy God. I pray for that every one of us would repent. Not that we got caught, Lord, but that we truly want to turn away from those things that have held our feet to the ground when we needed to soar for you. Those things that have kept those chains and cords of bondage around us, Father God, when you said we are free. Those things that have kept us in the cycle of defeat and frustration and sickness, when you said we are healed and whole. Father, we just repent of all activities all thoughts, all attitudes that are unloving, ungodly. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us, to cleanse us, holy God, of anything, Lord, that would be offensive to you. I'm thinking about a scripture, I believe it's in Joshua, where Joshua is warning the people, he said, the Lord is going to walk in the midst of your camp in three days. He said, get your house ready. Clean up your stuff. He said, he's going to walk in the midst of your camp. Lest he see something that would offend him and he would turn away. God, we don't want you walking in the midst of our lives and being offended. God, we just pour out our hearts to you and we just declare, Father God, that we want you to be Lord of our life, Lord Jesus. You are the Word of God. You are God. And you've given to us that freedom and that provision of salvation. Touch us, O God, we pray. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name.